Welcome to the Limitless Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Roseland. This podcast will teach you to acquire superhuman mental abilities and hack your reality. In this episode, I'm joined by a 20-year veteran of the U.S. Navy SEALs, Commander Mark Devine. Mark operates SealFit, a firm that physically and psychologically prepares special forces candidates. We discuss everything from Hell Week and gamifying situational awareness to meditation in the warrior tradition and preparing to hike Machu Picchu. Before we get into our interview with Commander Divine, I wanted to give a shout out to the smiling man who wrote us this awesome review on iTunes. Addictively entertaining food for thought. Five stars. Jonathan and Woody make a witty duo. Their podcast is packed with tons of useful information and at the same time devilishly entertaining. Jonathan is very on point about issues with wealth, socialization, and becoming a goal-driven, self-refining individual. The Limitless Mindset Podcast is a highly polished hidden gem, and I love following the show from week to week. I really appreciate the highly polished gem part of that review because at moments in the past, this podcast has debatably been unpolished, and lately I've been slaving away for hours polishing these episodes with my audio editing software, removing the myriad of background noises found here in Medellin, Colombia, barking dogs, low-flying airplanes, motorcycles, romantic salsa music, crying babies, and drunk Australians in the background. All my pleasure to remove from these episodes so that you, dear listener, have a more clear listening experience to distill the knowledge our guests drop on a weekly basis. If you find this episode's interview educational, we would really appreciate your feedback. There's three options for leaving feedback. The first takes about 90 seconds to do. Leave a comment on the show notes for this episode, which you will find on the homepage of LimitlessMindset.com. The second option takes a whole three minutes to do and is unfortunately only for those of you who have iTunes accounts. It entails logging into your iTunes account, searching for Limitless Mindset in the iTunes store, and then leaving a five-star rating along with a thoughtful review. To be honest, I appreciate the people a little more who leave a rating and a review in iTunes because this increases the show's visibility in iTunes, which allows me to convince 
really world-class experts, the kind of people whose hourly consulting rates start in the three- to four-figure range, like Commander Mark Devine, to come on the show to drop knowledge and answer our questions. Now, there is a third option that takes a whole 10 seconds longer than the second option, for leaving feedback that's only for the real task batching life hacking ninjas out there that really want to get on my good side which is to leave a rating and review in itunes and then copy paste that rating and review into the show notes for this episode on the limitless mindset website if you leave us a comment in itunes and live in a country other than the united states please shoot me a quick message just letting me know my email is jr at limitlessmindset.com since itunes has this damned pesky habit of hiding from me reviews left from people outside of the united states either way i look forward to hearing from you soon Let's get into the interview with Commander Divine now. Welcome to Limitless Mindset. Benvenuti a Pensiero Senza Limiti. Buchim abayim letodah lelog bulot. Hi, welcome to the Ljubljansa Tenki Mopa. Dobro, došli... In this episode, I'm joined by Commander Mark Devine, and Mark has one of the most fascinating career paths of any of the guests we've had so far on this show. He originally received a CPA working with a big corporate accounting firm on the East Coast, uh, but he was one of these one of these rare people that, at a young age, quit his corporate America job. I, apparently, he just didn't find it quite challenging enough, and he went and joined the U.S. Navy SEALs and actually graduated top of his SEAL class as honor man out of a class of 170 people. He served in the Navy SEALs for seven years, and then after that went on to found NavySEALs.com, a successful California brewery, and also has trained thousands of spec ops candidates for the Navy SEALs, for Army Rangers, and the latter program, his training program, was actually credited as increasing the quality of Navy SEALs candidates and reducing the attrition rate at BUDS by 5%. And Mark, I appreciate you joining me. How are you doing today? Terrific, Jonathan. Thanks Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. So... For those of us who, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, can you give me a little bit of an idea of what Hell Week and what the training that a Navy SEAL goes through entails and what you're kind of preparing themselves for? Of course, yeah. I I, I did want to correct one thing in your bio. Um, I actually served for 20 years in the SEAL teams, uh, retiring in 2011 as a commander. Um, Half of that time, 10 years, was active duty and the rest was reserve. And so that's kind of where a lot of people get confused. As a reserve officer, 
Um, I was, you know, you would m maybe call me a weekend warrior. I spent maybe a month, a year, with the exception of two um, full-year recalls, one where I went to Iraq and the other to Africa. And so, um, you know, the 20-year the span um, was, a, was kind of an interesting, um, interesting chunk of time to invest in such a unique organization. So I want to get that out there. Um, but, you know, the, uh, to your question, Jonathan, um, you know, people think of Hell Week as like a defining moment in SEAL training. And, and it's very true that it is a, um, a watershed or an inflection point in, um, in, a, in a trainee's path. I mean, when we start training, uh, four to six weeks, depending upon the time era that you've gone through, four to six weeks before Hell Week, the class is uh, usually around 175 to 250 people strong, young men strong, and they're all typically well prepared physically for, you know, the six to nine months of work ahead of them. And, um, and so they start training, and so within the, by the time they get to Hell Week, they've already flushed out perhaps uh, 60 of these guys. And these people, you know, they're getting injured right away or they just find they just don't have um, what they thought they had physically. But they haven't really, really been challenged mentally yet. I mean, they have, but not, not to the level that the SEALs expect. And so Hell Week is really, they want to get that out of the way early because that's, their, that's probably the most intense simulation ever created by, you know, human beings to simulate a, an experience. And the experience they're trying to simulate is combat. So what they want to do is, um, what the instructors and the, the SEALs want to do is find essentially what's your character going to be under the most extreme conditions, you know, known and um, as best they can without real bullets, you know, flying at you and without real, you know, teammates dying beside you. Um, and so the, originally the Hell Week concept was called Motivation Week back, um, back when it was first formed uh, in, the, in the actually early 60s in the 50s, I should say, when they're training underwater demolition team uh, warriors. And so Hell Week is um, essentially it's a way to flush out the, the other, you know, 80% or so of your class who just aren't going to make the long haul, aren't going to be good teammates. And so, the, you know, in a nutshell, it's, it's uh, six days of training, five nights, no sleep, around the clock, you know, 24-7, and, you know, you're not sitting in a coffee shop trying to stay awake. I mean, you're, you're under extreme conditions, right? You're in this surf zone. You're, um, you know, doing 20-mile paddles in the ocean. And you're hiking with boats and logs on your head for long distances. And you're doing all sorts of mental games and tricks uh, that the instructors are playing to try to get under your psychological skin, so to speak. And uh, the whole point for, for the exercise is to find, you know, your weak spot and then to pour some salt in the wound and, and to really try to expose you and to see whether you've got that mental and emotional resiliency to, um, to pick yourself off, dust yourself off, and not just survive but to thrive and be a good teammate and be a leader and, you know, get yourself through. So by the time this period of, of training is over, which is, again, really early in a, in a SEAL trainee's um, pipeline or timeline – you know, for me, it was week seven for, I think today it's usually around week four uh, of 26 weeks of the original BUDS program followed by another four months of the advanced training. Anyway, so here we are at week four, week, week seven for me, and the class now has been whittled down from, uh, in my case, 170 to 40 uh, people, 40 men. And that 40 then, you know, you go forward with and, and uh, train for the rest of the period. Um, in my case, I ended up graduating with 19 original guys in my class. So, 
that's kind of a, a, a summary. What other questions kind of does that bring up? So, what you're so it whittles it down from around 170 people to 19. Am I understanding that correctly? Every class is going to be different. My class had, I think, you know, I can't remember the exact number. I think 179 was our starting number, and 19 original of those class graduated uh, six months later. Um, more recent classes, uh, guys that, you know, I've been training, have been coming through and coming back and telling me similar numbers. You know, 200 guys start, uh, graduate with 22. So the numbers really are about the same. Nutrition is really, like I said, largely a result of mental um, fortitude, mental resiliency, or the lack thereof. And that's really one of the, um, you know, the, the expertise of the SEAL instructors is not just physical training, but really uh, understanding human psychology and how to probe and penetrate and to, um, to find those who've got that resiliency uh, to survive and thrive in those environments. So you said that everyone going into this training are, they're pretty tip-top physical specimens. Are there, are there some generalizations that you can make? Are there, some, are there some predictors as far as the psychological side of it, as far as, far as who's, going to, who's going to make it? Or is it, kind of, is it something where it's really just a toss-up until they enter that phase of training? Um, the answer is both. There, there are certainly predictors. They, they understand that college graduates who have um, involved in athletics have a much better chance of, uh, you know, graduating statistically. And so, you know, you, the, the types of sports that they've looked at that tend to, again, statistically prove out well are those sports that are gut-wrenching in nature, such as wrestling, uh, you know, combat sports like that, wrestling or um, water polo, interestingly, which is like underwater combat if you ever uh, played water polo. Um, also, triathlon runners, you know, tend to be fare fairly well, even though they need to develop some strength and durability to compete. Um, having said that, at an individual level, you could take five guys who all come out of uh, wrestling, swimming, water polo teams and are graduates of the Naval Academy, and you can't, they can't predict which one of those five guys will make it and, and which four will quit. Um, and so it's really interesting. They know that you know, certain, uh, certain um, things in life develop resiliency, like you know, sticking with um, a college program, you know, getting a black belt in karate, you know, sticking with a, a, a rigorous athletic endeavor, you know, like a college wrestling or football program. But then you take five guys with the same background, and it's very, very difficult to predict which one has the resiliency and which one doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. And so your training comes in that you prepare people. So I, I'm aware of the Navy SEALs and the Army Rangers. What are some of the other spec ops, or I'm sorry, special operations divisions that you prepare candidates for? And and give me kind of like a like a 50,000-foot view of what are the – areas of training that you focus on so that they will have that, uh, so that they'll have that grit to, to make it through? Yeah, great question. You know, they, we're pretty agnostic to the special ops. We, we know that ultimately the, the different forces have a different mission and they're all valuable, but it's going to require similar attributes to get through. So even though I'm a SEAL, 
and we know that physical, you know, you have to be a physical stud to get through. I mean, you have to be a pretty much a physical stud to get through MARSOC, which is the Marine Special Operation Program, as well as the Ranger School uh, and the Special Forces Q course. I mean, they don't emphasize the physical as much, but I mean, it's pretty much if you train, if you train to be a SEAL, you, you have a much better chance of getting through some of those other programs is kind of our viewpoint, and it's proven out to be fairly correct. Um, and one thing I'll, I'll also kind of point out here is that when, um, when you show up at SEAL training, uh, they don't teach you mental toughness and resiliency. Either you got it or you don't. And after Hell Week, then they'll start teaching you how to be a good leader, how to be a teammate. They'll teach you the skills of being a special ops warrior. And then the, the culture and the systems of the organization of the SEALs or the special ops groups, they do the rest. They take it the, the final you know, mile. Um, I think in SEAL training nowadays, there is one, one class, literally. You sit in the class for an hour, and they'll talk to you about mental toughness. Um, but, but then it's on you to go out and to develop it or prove it, you know, that you've got it. So it's very much of a, you know, come to the table with what you've got, and the survivors will then, you know, hone and forge their mental toughness and resiliency as a team through the training of, you know, being a warrior. So what I, what I try to do is, um, you know, starting with the nationwide mentor program where I was hired by the Navy to mentor SEAL candidates nationwide back in 2007, I no longer have that contract. I actually only had it for one year, but that um, was the spark that, that created SEAL Fit and then Unbeatable Mind. What I try to do is um, to parse through uh, my own life, my own training, th- that, those things that worked really well for me allowed me to you know, really enjoy SEAL training to, you know, go in there with obviously the right training and background, but also to, to sail through it with a, a level of grace that, um, you know, in retrospect was pretty uncommon. And it was some of the mental skills that I had developed in my martial arts as well as um, my competitive athletics, you know, uh, some of the visualization and, and the way I set goals and those types of things. And so I started to look at my own experience and then the experiences of all the guys I was training and uh, through trial and error process over a five-year period has, have developed a mental toughness um, and I would say a warrior spirit training program that is uh, very integrated, right? And we, we, I call it the five mountains. We develop you physically, mentally, emotionally, intuitionally, and your, your warrior spirit, or what I call Kokoro spirit, you know, merging your heart and mind in, in, uh, in powerful action. And so what, what happens is when I, when I can train these um, young special ops candidates from any force, including foreign, and they, um, and they spend over a week with me here at our headquarters where we can get deep into all of these um, different training principles and practices and train from 5 in the morning until 8 or 9 at night, sometimes around the clock, and we can cap it off with my version of, of Hell Week, which is uh, called Kokoro Camp, which is 50 hours of nonstop training. Um, and we send those guys off to their respective military training programs, and I've got a 100% success rate in getting them through the training because they show up not only physically really prepared and mentally resilient, but also with all these different tools and strategies for um, maintaining, you know, arousal control and attention control and positive attitude and, and, you know, setting the proper goals and really just being a great teammate and taking their eyes off themselves and putting them on their team. And, and so they, they literally demonstrate moment to moment, you know, all the qualities that the instructor cadre is looking for and, and are frankly surprised to see so soon in the game. And they tend to um, 
you know, no one to keep their mouth shut and no one to jump up and lead. And, you know, they've got literally a benchmark, you know, workout or experience, so to speak, of what it's like to go through that training program. And that is worth its weight in gold. And so it tends to be very, uh, very useful and powerful experience. Wow. That's, I really like, I, I'm really interested in, in the numbers and the statistics. And so the fact that you have, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, you have a hundred percent of your candidates are passing their, their training instruction is what you're saying. If I'm yeah, but let's, correctly. let's be clear. A hundred percent of those who will come and spend over a week with me, living with me on site, I have an immersion academy called the uh, seal fit Academy. And in this academy, they live on site. Um, they train, you know, 20 hours a day, and they literally get downloaded both the hardware and the software to succeed. Um, I can't say that I have 100% success rate with those who are just doing the SealFit workout from my website or who just come to the 50-hour camp, even that though it's very, it's very high. But um, if, I can, if I have the time and people are willing to commit the time, the money, and the pain to, um, to learn you know, the full chimichanga, so to speak, then um, the success rate has been phenomenal. Well, that's truly impressive, Mark. So this podcast is in the life hacker niche. And a right. lot of life hackers are, to be honest, we're kind of like geeks. We're people that we work in right. IT or we operate our own businesses. We're, we're people that spend a lot of our working day sitting in chairs and staring at glowing screens and as <laughs> as life hackers and as biohackers we kind of we kind of want the best of both worlds we want to be able to have the the economic benefits of being geeks of being people that are working on our computers um, but we want the psychological and possibly the physiological sure. benefits of the kind of lifestyle that a navy seal has or that a that a warrior has and we've probably only got around three to six hours to train. So do you, do you think that's possible? Is it possible to have the best of both worlds? Three to six hours a day, that's probably plenty. Or, or I'm sorry, three to six <laughs> hours a week. <laughs> Listen, if you have to hack something, then clearly you're trying to keep somebody out. And so I would look at it the other way. So why, what are you trying to keep out that needs to be hacked? I mean, the human... Um, mind and body and spirit are frankly you know the first step toward you know what you call hacking is just shifting and changing your belief systems and shit canning what doesn't work and replacing it with more powerful beliefs it's kind of where we start with our uh, seal candidates and our spec ops guys um, most of us have a very weak um, view of what we're capable of and so um, we call that the 20x. Your first, my first job is to prove to you that you're capable of 20 times more than you think you are. And then from there, I'll teach you the skills to how to go out and do that and accomplish that. Um, at, at a mental level, you know, we try to essentially first get you to realize that your mind is more than your, your rational thinking mind. And then we get, you know, using the skills that I learned through primarily through Eastern practices such as the martial arts and yoga – um, but are becoming more common here in the West. I, you know, we teach a very simplified kind of seal fit version of um, meditation and breath control and visualization to help tap into, you know, your heart mind and your belly mind and to be able to, you know, really, really um, spark your creative um, capacity, your innovation, your ad adaptation. And um, 
as well as your intuition, right? And so when those things really um, start to come together and you train them in an integral fashion, meaning you're training your physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and your, your spirit all at the same time, then you tend to find an accelerating effect. And so not only do, you, do your worldviews and your consciousness expand, your capabilities at all those, um, with all those human capacities expand. And, um, you know, I see this all the time. You know, it happens just by virtue of being, a, you know, in the SEAL teams because of the environment and the culture and the systems really empower that type of learning. But if you're sitting in front of a computer, you just got to get off your butt and train. And it doesn't have to be physical training. I mean, the morning ritual that we uh, discussed before the call is part of your training. You know, having five-minute practices here and there for breathing and visualization and, you know, checking in with your mindset and ensuring that you're, you know, you're, you're weeding out any negative um, thoughts, feelings, and images and, and replacing them with, with powerful ones. I mean, these are all part of your training and practice that happens throughout the day. I mean, it happens, starts when you wake up in the morning. Happens, you know, the moment you step into work, you know, you put your armor on, your mental armor. It happens, you know, every time you step into a meeting or, or onto an important phone call. It happens, you know, before and after and during a workout or a training session because training is a little bit different than working out. And it happens when you, you know, before you walk in your home at night, you know, after work. And it happens before you go to bed. And so, you know, you could literally get two to three hours of training in during the day, but it's mixed in with everything else you're doing. I mean, I train while I'm standing in line, you know, at the bank, and I train while I'm shopping um, for, you know, for a meal at a shopping market. I mean, I'm always training. And I, you know, again, let me just close this little segment saying that it, it requires a new orientation toward life. And you, I look at every moment is an opportunity to train. I don't watch TV. You know, if I'm going to do something with my time, I've got to decide, am I going to meditate? Am I going to breathe? Am I going to do a physical training session? Am I going to do yoga? Am I going to do my martial arts? Am I going to read a great book? Right? Am I going to do some authentic, you know, communication with my wife? And again, it doesn't have to feel like work. It becomes very, very natural, flowing, um, you know, state of almost um, effortlessness and... Um, I guess at, at the, when everything's in sync, it's blissful, right? It's, it's, that, it's that highest level that we're all looking for. You know, it feels really good, like you're in flow. You know, Mark, as you talk about when you start with a new person, how one of the first things that you're working on training them is expanding their awareness of what they're capable of that's kind of making me visualize that scene from the uh from the second star wars movie where luke skywalker is on dagobah with yoda <laughs> and yoda shows him that luke is capable of lifting his x-wing out of out of the swamp and making it levitate yeah. through the air that's what i'm kind of that's what i'm kind of imagining there as a as a good metaphor from from pop culture for for warrior training right i'm wondering what is when that actually when that actually does happen between you and your students what does that actually physically look like if if you have any any interesting examples that you can think of um, the training, it's, it starts with just the volume, right? So when, let's say someone shows up here at SealFit and they're going to start, you know, this Sunday afternoon, we put them through a little bit of training and orientation Sunday evening and then Monday morning at zero, um, zero 0500, it starts. Now the first training session is a 20 X training session. 
And what I have them do, <laughs> this, is, this will surprise you and make you never want to come, but um, the, the trainees will literally stay in what I call the lean and rest, which is a push-up position for 45 minutes. Um, most people have difficulty doing this for more than two minutes. And, um, wow. so the yeah, trainees, it, it, no, there's no question. There's times where they put their knees down and they're, they're literally just suffering big time, but it's not anything that's really that hard to do. You just literally stay in the push up position. Um, and so during this time, you know, I'm cueing them on breathing and coming together as a team and breathing together and seeing themselves doing it. You know, I really start right away planning what I call the big four of mental toughness is set, you know, set your short term goals. Let's make it another minute. Let's make it another minute. You know, you can do this as a team when the team is all up, we'll go for another minute, right? Or 30 seconds. And then we'll breathe together. We'll do 10 breaths, right? And so you breathe together, nice deep belly breath, get that oxygen in, you know, calm your mind and your body. And uh, see yourself, you know, uh, see yourself with a nice, strong, you know, plank position. See yourself as a piece of plywood. Um, you know, little tricks to kind of shift the energy around. So you're using your legs and your glutes and your upper back and your arms and your triceps. And, you know, everything is kind of shifting around in a fluid flowing manner. So, you're, you know, you have time to recover in certain areas of the body. I mean, there, that one training session is a lifetime of lessons, right, both in what you're capable of and the skills of, of how do you endure something like that, right? Um, and so that's a good example. And then from there, you know, let's just give an example of a typical day. From there... We might go on a uh, on an eight mile run, you know, on the beach, soft sand. Never they've never done it before. And then they come back, and after breakfast, we go into a hardcore CrossFit workout, and then maybe have a class on um, class on mental toughness, and then we'll have a gymnastics seminar, and then lunch, and then after after lunch, we have a, a seal fit seminar where we got them doing tire flips and sledgehammer strikes and and uh, Olympic lifting complexes and those types of things, and another workout, right? And then they'll go into <laughs> Uh, meditation session and a yoga session then have dinner and then they'll go on uh, a, a long ocean swim at dusk right and then at night they'll have um, after dinner you know they'll get together and have a kind of a, a debrief of the day talk about the lessons learned you know re have a reading assignment or we have you know, reflective assignments and so um, you know there's a lot of yin yang and um, the, the learning happens at, at those five mountain levels like I talked about and it happens from you know, uh, we know that accelerated learning happens when you first, you know, hear something. So we tell them, and then they, and then they experience it viscerally. They see it, and then they they smell it, taste it, feel it, emotionalize it, and then they share it with a teammate, and then they can teach it back. And when they can teach it back, you know, we know they've got it. And so this goes on throughout the week, you know, focusing on these five mountains and on on a range of you know just really powerful skills that we know that they're going to need. That'll make them better at everything in life. And by the end of the um, seven-day period, right? They've because they've trained so much. It's not like, you know, they're doing an hour workout a day for seven days. No, they're training for 12 to 15 hours a day, ending it with 50 hours of nonstop training. And you stack it all up, and you know, you you've got several hundred hours of of physical, mental, and um, didactic all learning. You know, all happening in uh, you know a couple hundred hour period. It's it's um, it's extraordinary, you know what I mean? It's like four years of college packed into one week. So, Mark, I'm hearing you talk a lot about training and exercise as a as a social activity and as a group activity. Right. And I know that a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast, a lot of them, their physical training and their mental training are things 
that they are that they're doing alone mm-hmm. and I've considered I've considered a couple times now and talking to you I'm certainly reconsidering it setting up workshops around mental training as a social mm-hmm. activity mm-hmm. because to be honest with you for for many people myself included physical training and mental training is kind of a a solitary activity so mm-hmm. do you think it's possible to get the same results out of physical and mental training as a solitary activity or should people really be looking for uh, a community or a group to connect with yeah it's impossible to get the same results uh doing it alone i mean we, we, we live in three worlds simultaneously. We live in our own world, right, in our sense of self and consciousness, but we live also as a team, right? And we, when we enter that team, um, we're held to higher standards. We hold ourselves to higher standards. We expect more out of our teammates. And so uh, performance tends to j- be jacked up as a team. Um, you tend to show up uh, when you're expected, and you tend to put out more because of your teammates. Uh, so the accelerating effect of team training is enormous, and we know, you know, we've noted that from the very beginning. Um, and I share this myself. You know, when I train alone, you know, the, the impact and the effect is not nearly as dramatic as when I train with others, nor is it nearly as fun and rewarding. And so any time that, that um, someone, even, even someone who sits behind a computer all the time, you know, can either get off and, and go join a CrossFit gym or, or find a team to train with. And then take, treat your training, your physical training, um, as the same part and parcel of your mental training. I mean, where your mind leads, your body follows. Where your body leads, your mind follows. And so, for instance, every training session we do here at uh, my SealFit Training Center, we start out with breathing exercises. And, you know, my little pre-training standard operating procedure is to have you, you know, review the training session, visualize yourself going through it, you know, uh, seeing yourself crushing it, at, you know, checking in with your, your energy, making sure you're feeding the positive dog, the courage dog, um, breathing, you know, charging up your body, getting into that performance zone, and then you hit the workout. And during the workout, you know, you, you maintain both an outer and inward focus. When, when you need to, you're focused, I'm as a coach, focused on, you know, my teammates' form, their quality, motivating them, and that's, you know, very much an outward focus. But the rest of the time, I'm focused inward, you know, noticing, you know, the sensations in my body and, and uh, the breathing and, and kind of my emotional states and, and where, where I'm at, right? And so it tends to be an awareness development training session as much as a physical training session. And then, of course, after the work is done, you know, we'll, we'll debrief, we'll reflect on the work done, we'll make sure that um, um, anything that was negative or didn't happen both at an individual or didn't happen well, both at an individual and a team level are dealt with. Team issues are dealt with in the debrief. For instance, if, if you have a teammate that, you know, was, was not putting out or was dragging the team down or, lo and behold, was cheating on his rep count, well, there is an opportunity for some values development, right, and some accountability, I mean, there's just it's so much going on when you train as a team. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to develop teamwork and leadership and to uh, really step up your game to a much higher level. Wow. Well, that's a powerful takeaway. I've got another question for you, Mark, but to provide some context for this question, I need to tell a story about um, how I recently kind of got my ass kicked <laughs> physically by a by a by a challenge and uh, get your feedback on it i had a hike of a volcano 
here nice. in Central America. It's this volcano called Volcan Baru, and it's in the center of Panama. And it's one of the few places on the Earth that you can see the Pacific and the Caribbean Ocean at the same time. Wow. From the same point. Yeah, it was, it was quite a sight, um, but it was a 12-hour hike to nice. get to and from the summit of Volcan Baru. And prior to doing this, I had been jogging pretty, what, what I felt was pretty intensely every mm -hmm. other day. And I'd been going to the gym and trying to stay as physically active mm -hmm. as I could, devoting, yeah, I'd say around anywhere from like three to four hours a week. Mm -hmm. And when I went to go and hike, this volcano, it, it kind of kicked my ass. And I right. found that I found that as I was hiking it, that I just, I needed to take a ton of breaks hiking sure. it, and mm -hmm. that I was consistently kind of behind the group. And I had a couple of supremely, uh, solitary moments <laughs> when I was on this trail, a couple hundred meters away from my group in the middle of the night, um, just feeling like I was completely alone in the world. And in these moments, I kind of felt like all my physical training was really kind of a waste of time because right. I just expected myself to do so much better hiking mm -hmm. this volcano. And so I'm wondering, other than, other than something crazy like a 12-hour hike of a volcano, <laughs> what are some ways that we can kind of quantify and measure whether our physical training regimen is really worth our time and is sure. really continually pushing us forward, or if it's just something that we've gotten comfortable with. Uh, great call. Um, I think it's really important to benchmark your progress, and the way you do that is to, to measure it, right? And so the typical you know, uh, example of this is you know, bodybuilders will measure their reps every time they do it and the weight and the load. And then, you know, as they progress, they get, you know, lift more and more and they measure that and so they can see their progress, not only in their musculature, but in their, um, in their journal. Um, so when people, you know, it's very, it's common and ineffective to just go to the gym or just put on your running shoes and just go for a run. Um, it's the way you trained for your hike was the common way to train, and it's it's largely ineffective. Does it mean that um, you would have performed the same had you not done that? No, you know you probably performed a little bit better because you were doing the cardio work, but it wasn't the way that I would have prepared or that a seal would have prepared for that hike. So if you um, going forward, next time you do this, consider you know, the, um, consider the nature of what you're going to be doing. And so when I think about a hike, okay, I'm going to be probably carrying some load, maybe not a ton because it's only 12 hours. So I'm not going out for weeks, but I don't need hundreds of pounds, but I, I probably am carrying 40 or 50 pounds, right? Up the load. You know, it was a little bit less. I wouldn't say okay. 40 or 50 pounds. So maybe, so let's say 30 just for the sake of argument. And you're going to be walking uphill. And so, and then walking downhill, and those those are two different motions, right? Very different than running. Um, and so, yes, you do want to engage your your oxidative slash endurance capacity. And so, you know, maybe some long runs are part of your training plan. But um, for for um, for me, what I start out with and say, okay, I'm going to put 30 pounds on my back in a backpack, and then I'm going to get myself a box, right? And then I'm going to start out with um, I'll start out with 500 step ups. 
and um, and I'll time myself. I'll I'll do 500 step ups as basically as fast as I can, you know. And I'll have a little water bottle next to me, and I'll just go. And it, and it maybe it'll take me 45 minutes to an hour, right? And then um, I'll I'll integrate um, step ups and weighted hikes into my training program. And so a typical week might be two long, you know, a, 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 some sprints, a medium run, and a long run. And then, um, you know, a workout where I do, um, you know, box step-ups with weight, um, push-ups, and, um, you know, bicycling or, or something like that, like more of a CrossFit style or a SealFit style work capacity session that includes the functional nature of the skill that you're trying to develop, in this case, the weighted box step-ups. And so then, you know, after 30 days of this training, you go back and, and you um, get your box and your journal and you do 500 step-ups again as fast as you can and you see how far you progress and guarantee you're going to do it faster than you did the first time, right? So as you do this, and you might then say, okay, I'm ready for 1,000 step-ups. So then you benchmark yourself for 1,000, continue your training regimen, come back and uh, re-benchmark yourself for that 1,000 step-ups under load. And you'll see improvement. So you, you know you're improving. You're doing it in a functional uh, capacity, uh, you know, that's going to have a direct correlation to the, you know, the thing that you're going to do in the real world. So now you, put, you, know, you go to do the hike, and you put on that rucksack, and you start walking uphill, and you're like, hey, I've been here before, and this is actually pretty easy and enjoyable. Wow. Well, thanks for your advice on that, Mark. Like I, like I told you earlier, I'm in Colombia, South America right now. And so I'm looking at in a couple of weeks doing the Machu Picchu. Nice. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited for it where it's about five days and you go on the original Aztec trails. And after about five days, you end up in that city up there in the clouds and so i'll look at the i'll look at what your suggestions are here as a way to as a way to prepare for for that for doing something that's going to be like a five-day hike would your suggestion be the same with the step-ups or are there some other things i should do to account for the longevity of the exercise that's going to entail or or is it actually going to be easier because it's five days and we're going to be more yeah i would say just the 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 training i described would be fine um your five days aren't going to be consecutive overnight you know you're gonna you're basically going to do five one-day hikes um and so the training i described would would prepare you for five one-day hikes now keep in mind two weeks isn't enough time to prepare for that and so Really, what you're going to do is just uh, find yourself a box, put some weight on your back, and just start to get comfortable moving that load uphill, and then uh, then go have fun and relax. Okay. So speaking of benchmarkable training tools and methods, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, about dual end back training. Is that something that you have very much experience with or familiarity with? And uh, nope, maybe okay. you could describe it. I mean, I, I might, we might do something that's similar to it, but I'm not familiar with that term. Yeah, it's one of the top things I recommend to people. It's a, it's a game that you play, and you can play it on your computer, your PC, Mac, iPhone, Android, 
and it trains your mind for attentional focus. Right. It's to be honest with you, it's not a very fun game. It's this <laughs> game that entails a little block that jumps around the screen and you have to remember where it was multiple positions back right. and it has an algorithm that increases itself uh, uh, in, that increases itself to provide you with an increased challenge over time and there's been uh, studies done at LMU in Germany at the University of Bern in Sweden at University of Michigan and University of Minnesota that all demonstrated that it was something that increased IQ and that it increased the working memory over time and that really importantly to what we're discussing that it increased what neuroscientists call executive function mm -hmm. and so executive function is the amount of control that we have over where our attention is going and i found i found personally that in the time that i've been training with this game with dual end back training that my level of attention that i have is or my level of attentional control I have is significantly higher when it comes to work tasks. And right. uh, a real good example of this is I'm one of these people that kind of like bounces around from country to country and works on my laptop. Nice. And I'm not sure if you've ever done that, but it's a really uh, distraction-prone sure. way to live. Because, like, for example, uh, like, like two days ago, I had to read a paper on neuroscience, yet there was this big party going on in the hostel, and I was literally sitting up in my room reading this really dry PDF on neuroscience while there's, like, 20 Colombian chicks getting drunk 20 or, you know, 10 meters away from me. And that requires a lot of attentional uh, control. For sure, yeah. Um, and, 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 and so I, I found that because I've been kind of vagabonding for a while, I found that, that dual NBAC training has, has increased my, my attentional control significantly. Um, and so I was curious if there's some stuff like that that you use when you're training, uh, when you're training your guys. Uh, I love that. I mean, I, I've never heard the term, and I'd be anxious to find out what tool you use. Um, we don't use software um, in team environments. It's just too – it takes too much time. Um, and so we use basically real-world uh, games. And so the, the most classic example is called the Kim game. And so we'll we'll have um, um, we'll, we'll gather a whole bunch of just random items, and then we'll put them on a, a blanket and, and cover cover the blanket, and then we'll have you know this can be done at both an individual and a team level, and have let's say we're doing with a team, we'll pull the blanket off, give them 60 seconds to memorize everything, and uh, you know see what they see, and then they've got to basically recite it. And so it's a it's a memory access game, but also it's more than that, right? And so there's some planning and there's some processing activities that go on because you know we don't want them just to tell us what is on the um uh, you know on the the blanket we want them to tell us exactly the location we want them to tell us every little detail they can you know such as if there's a watch you know what what time is the watch saying you know where's the second hand at when you look at it what you know who's the manufacturer of the watch what's the wristband like you know if there's a can of soda on there then what's the expiration date and stuff like that 
And, um, and, and over time, they tend to get really, really good at this. And so they're developing their mental acuity and their, and their situational awareness um, by paying, paying attention to details but not losing themselves, you know, into the details. They've got to be able, be able to see the big picture as well. So that's a, a great, great tool. The SEALs use that. Um, it's just one of several that we'll use to develop uh, memory and processing power. You know, uh, the other is, frankly, uh, meditation and concentration, right? So breathing practices in yoga are, at their basic level, concentration practices, so they'll develop attention control. You know, we try to, to get um, a lot of that into a daily training program, um, and it has the same exact benefits that you're talking about. It increases neurological processing capacity, increases your memory, increases your ability to focus for long periods of time, uh, and to maintain a calm kind of awareness on the details while not losing your, you know, losing the forest for the trees. And what is the daily? How much time do you spend a day meditating? Um, if I'm doing yoga, that is my meditation. If I'm doing Qigong and Tai Chi, that's my meditation. If I'm not doing those, then I try to spend at least a half hour to 45 minutes meditating. Um, sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes I get to do it longer. So it really is about doing it every day. You know, it's a, it's a you know, use it or lose it type thing. Just, you know, if you do a period of time, you'll accrue great uh, progress. But if you then quit, fall off the... Uh, the wagon, so to speak, then you, you slip backwards. So you multitask your meditation with your physical, with your lighter physical training practices. Sure. The main, one of the main practices that I have that I've developed is called warrior yoga. I actually developed this in Iraq when I was there in 2004, you know, for a combat deployment. It was pretty interesting. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been doing yoga for about five years or six years by then, um, and, you know, I'd, I'd taken some teacher training and I was just dabbling around with it. And when I got to Baghdad with the SEALs, you know, there was really no gym available to me. Um, you know, my routine was wake up at like 10 and grab something quick to eat. And then, you know, I was supposed to be back in the shop by about 1 o'clock. And, um, and so, you know, I wanted to get a quick training session in. And so, you know, I started out with just my typical Navy SEAL PT stuff, you know, push-ups, you know, sit-ups, squats, run, stuff like that. And then I realized I really wanted to continue my yoga training. And so what I did is I combined everything I could think of, really, that I knew really worked for me into one training session. And I call it warrior yoga. And so in this training session, I would begin with um, a breathing practice I developed called box breathing. It's a very simple pranayama practice. And then I will, um, I'll go into a standing flow, right, for, you know, my, my training is in Ashtanga yoga, so I'd go into maybe 20 minutes to half hour of standing uh, poses. Uh, again, not that rigorous, but sometimes I work up a sweat, especially in that heated environment workout, right? So I spend, you know, the next 15 minutes or 20 minutes doing push-ups, squats, you know, uh, star jumps, mountain climbers, you know, core work, stuff like that, work up a really good lather. And then I would transition with some more breathing exercises that I learned from Qigong. And then I'd go down and do my seated poses and core development work. I would end the whole training session with a breath awareness meditation and a visualization. This is where I uh, developed the Stillwater uh, Runs Deep meditation. I tell you what, you know, whether I did this for 45 minutes or, or an hour and a half, uh, I, got in, I stayed in great shape and I maintained an unbelievably, you know, calm 
um, peace of mind kind of demeanor. Uh, and I felt like I grew, you know, while I was in the combat environment, you know, with, which was a high-stress, high-risk environment. So, you know, to answer your, your specific question, um, somatic practices like Tai Chi, Qigong, and, and yoga are meditation, right? And, and so when done well, with the right intent, your, your, inward, your focus is inward, your gaze is... Um, is inward it's not it's not a focused gaze it's just what we call a soft gaze and your concentration is on your breath or the quality uh, of the pose and so you tend to um to get your full meditation practice you know through the yoga and the and the qigong and then you know you can add visualization to that and so they become what i call meta practices i mean they are they they cover all five mountains of my my philosophy in that I'm getting physical development. It's not the, the same as going out and doing Olympic lifts, but I'm getting physical development, deep core level body control with the yoga, and I'm getting mental development through mental concentration practice, mental awareness practice, right, and tapping into my heart and my belly brains. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, developing emotional uh, awareness because a lot of our you know, our emotions are stored in our bodies and, you know, through yoga, you kind of draw awareness to them and can release a lot of those emotions and gain awareness of the depth and span of your emotions and resiliency. And it becomes an intuitive practice. And then finally, it's a spiritual practice as well, as you, as you well know. And so I really rely a lot on uh, what I would call these meta practices of yoga, Tai Chi and Qigong, because they're just so, so powerful. And we want, I want more and more people in the West to access these and to learn them because they bring the wisdom of, you know, thousands of years of practice uh, behind them. Mark, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about situational awareness, particularly because I think that amongst kind of my generation of professionals, which are, yeah, people that are, that are geeks, that are in front of computers a lot, I think that a lot of times we lack situational awareness because our job doesn't, it doesn't require that much situational awareness. You know, if I'm not, if I'm not aware of what's going on in my situation around me, I'm not, I, I don't, my, my life is not at risk like a soldier and so my personal way of trying to habituate more situational awareness is I apply a lot of kind of gamification mm -hmm. to my daily life like for example if I walk into a room with some people in it I'll make an effort to count how many people are in that room mm -hmm. and then I'll try to make an effort to notice what is the dominant hand that the different people in that room are using and one of uh, one of my ways of trying to habituate situational, situational awareness is I'll also try to detect if I'm dreaming so I'm one of these lucid dreaming people right. that I like to have like crazy dreams about like 
fighting giant bugs in the street or whatever. And so I will pay real close attention to my environment to try to pick out little inconsistencies of the way that people might be talking or the way that certain things might be happening to try to figure out if I might be in the middle of a dream. And if so, then I can go and manipulate that dream and I can into something that'll be, you know, more fun, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm wondering... For people, yeah, for people that aren't professional soldiers, what are some what are some suggestions for um, outside of the meditation practice? What are some suggestions for habituating better situational awareness? Because it's one of those things that, like for example, I'm here in Colombia, um, and when you're traveling and you're on the road situational awareness is something that it, it might save your life right. at some point, For but sure. you never know when you never know when that's going to happen. So there's a lot of value in, in constant vigilance. And I'm trying to figure out ways of, of making of systematizing that for people that aren't professional, uh, professional soldiers. Yeah, that's great. Some neat, neat things that you're doing. Situational awareness is, is extremely important. Um, a couple, you know, a couple uh, anecdotes and stories from my end. Uh, when I go into a restaurant, you know, the way I do situational awareness is I scan the restaurant for uh, for, for anything unusual, right? Any any um, any unusual looking people, or you know, uh, if there's a, um, if there's no table that's really readily available to me, and I'm going to be standing around, and a lot of times I won't wait. Um, and I also look for a table that can be uh, at the at the rear of the restaurant or the side of the restaurant where I can have my back, you know, to a wall and I can scan the environment while I'm enjoying my meal. And then, you know, I will ask if I can't be seated in one of these areas, I'll leave, right? And I'll, so I'll ask to be seated so that I can observe the restaurant. And then, you know, um, what I teach my trainees is to, first of all, you know, you kind of – in all situations in your life, be the subject and not the object, meaning you constantly maintain control and awareness of, of your thoughts as well as what's going on around you. So you need to have an uh, external situational awareness as well as an internal situational awareness. And that internal situation awareness, um, you know, is scanning your own internal environment, your own, uh, it's like a radar attention and, and really developing a deep awareness of, you know, the quality of your interior. But then you also scan the external environment. And so in the SEALs, we used to have a color system. And so most people operate in white, and white is complete ignorance, both of their external and internal environment. Uh, yellow is passive alertness. So pa pass that's where we want to be, and that's where I'm sure you are as an as a, uh, experienced traveler, right? Because you're always passively alert. You just described essentially a passive alert stance you know, that you have to take as you um, move about Colombia. And that is where you're paying attention to, you know, nuances and details and patterns that are happening in the world around you, right? And so you're, you really become a pattern recognizer. And anything that falls outside of a, a normal pattern, like a blip on a radar, catches your attention. And that as soon as it catches your attention, it elevates your awareness to orange, which, which is basically non-passive or an alert awareness or an alert readiness. Okay, and so you go on some passive readiness where you're just scanning, you know, nothing's out of uh, ordinary. Your patterns seem okay to all of a sudden, boom, 
a little blip shows up on your radar and you just step it up to an alert readiness. doesn't mean you're going to explode into action and take someone's head off. It just means that I better pay attention to this. So in my restaurant example, you know, if I'm seated with my back to the wall, having an, an enjoyable time with my wife and son, and, and all of a sudden some big burly dude comes charging in the front door and has some words with the, you know, the hostess and then starts walking toward me, guess what? I go to orange. That's a blip. <laughs> That's a blip, exactly. And, and so I'm, I'm ready to ramp it up. And, and it can happen very, very quickly, right? And so I see this guy coming toward me. I'm literally about ready to stand up and move to red, which is action, right? And I don't wait to be acted upon. If I think there's a threat and that threat has is, is proved itself to be real, um, it's crossed a, th- a threshold line, you know, a line, line of demarcation, and everyone's going to have a different one. You've got to train and understand, you know, a real threat from a, um, uh, you know, a false threat. And I'm fairly well trained at that. And so if the, if the demarcation line is crossed, I don't wait for that guy to come up and throw a punch at me. I literally will get up and attack him. Um, having said that, as he's coming toward me, I'm paying, like, radically close attention to both internal and external. And if I feel the threat inside of me, then that will escalate me. But if I don't feel the threat, in this case, you know, my story, you know, I didn't feel a threat. It just looked threatening. He comes toward me and he turns to the right and goes into the bathroom. And I stay at orange, but, you know, I immediately start to de-escalate from the potential, you know, red violent action that was about to happen. Sit back down, wait for him to leave just to make sure, and then go about my, my day and go back into, um, go back to yellow, basically, where I'm just passively scanning my environment. So that's really um, what I try to teach. And, you know, in terms of the skills there, there's a lot of skills that are to d- develop. You know, n- noticing patterns, like uh, I said, which is what you were doing. You've got to train yourself by paying attention to patterns, being aware, being always scanning the environment. Never let yourself kind of go into white where you're ignorant of what's going around you. You know, you go into the shopping center uh, and you, you're looking for food, you should also be scanning the aisle and noting, you know, the people that are and smiling at them, you know, trying to get eye contact. Um, and it becomes a much more enjoyable experience. It's really a presence practice as well, right? And then you can detect it, you know, when something's out of, out of whack. And Mark, I really like that system. So it has three levels in it. The first level is that you're... Pa- passive readiness level right that's when you're looking for patterns in your environment right the second level is when you have a blip when you're readying yourself to respond right and so the level two you're probably going to reach that like dozens of times in any in any given day Um, Uh, not, not necessarily i mean for most part that level is reached when a pattern a known pattern is broken or a new pattern enters your awareness that is just not right, you know, and you sense it with that internal awareness as well as see it or feel it, right? And so, um, you know, how, how often does that happen to me? Not very often, frankly. I mean, I um, maybe once a week, okay? I mean, this is serious stuff. I'm not talking about just someone speaking loudly. I mean, I can, I mean, that might register a, a very tiny blip and I'll, I'll glance over and say, okay, what's going on? And then immediately see that it's just, you know, some out-of-control Westerner, you know, with their camera around their neck, you know, making an ass out of themselves. And uh, not a threat, right? Back to my uh, – back to my uh, – uh, back, to, back to yellow. So the, the colors really are white is ignorance, don't want to be there. Most people are there. Your listeners are not, obviously. Yellow is – 
passively alert, always scanning, always paying attention, but I'm going about my business, and this is kind of a heightened state of awareness that is, is more focused, more productive anyways. You know, your brain is really more of an alpha state at, at this level. Um, it, it teaches you to be really, um, even in conversation, right? So while you're in conversation with someone, you tend to be super focused, right? And when you focus at that level, you tune out. Well, this is where you can focus and also tune in to what's going in around, what's going on around you, and so that's the level of awareness I'm talking about here. And then orange is the ready alert. That's when a, when a pattern is interrupted or a new pattern emerges that doesn't feel or look right. Then you basically would stop the conversation, step back, scan around, find out where the source of the threat is coming from, and assess it. Right, and that assessment could be very quick or, or it could be you know it might take some more information. And then finally, the, the final level is red, which is basically massive, immediate, and violent action, you know, if called upon. Hey, Mark, as I was going through your materials over at Unbeatable Mind, there was kind of a, there was a philosophy that I think you share with me that I, that, I, that I remind my listeners of pretty frequently. And there's this thing that, that you hear really frequently, which is kind of that the the solution to being really happy or being really successful in life is just to work hard and to work smart. And as long as you have a combination of working hard and working smart going on, you're going to reach whatever your goal is. And I kind of think that's an oversimplification of the matter. And I got, I got a similar impression from your materials. So the philosophy that I try to espouse is that you do need to work hard. You do need to work smart, but you also need to relax smart as well. And so I wanted to ask you, cause I, you're describing to me these things, these training uh, things that these candidates go through that are really kind of unconscionable to someone like like myself because I've never I've never been through them, <laughs> and so how do you train someone to relax and recuperate after something like that so that they're not destroying their body and destroying their mind with the with the amount of stress that they're putting it under? Sure. Does does that count as a white state or is a white state? really something that you're only in if you're asleep um you know what when when trained you're not even in white asleep i mean the the whole idea of sleeping with your eyes open you know when you train yourself this way you're not you're at a uh, passive alert even while you sleep um that's pretty advanced stage though but back to your question um Relax. So did I'm sorry, Mark. Did you just say s- sleep with your eyes open? Yeah, it's pretty common for uh, warriors to to develop, and it's really metaphorical. I mean, some people do sleep with their eyes open. Can't be very good for your eyes, um, but it's really more about the sensitivity you develop um, to be paying attention, right, uh, at a subconscious level of what's going on around you while your body is in the sleep mode and resting. Um, because your body is completely aware of everything that's going, your mind is completely aware of everything that's going on around you at a at a deep level. It's just not you know entering your conscious you know um, uh, analytical processing you know executive function um, you know faculty, uh, but you can sense it at a, at a different level, and so you can train yourself to basically wake up really quickly if there's a threat and or if your body perceives a threat. 
Um, and let, you know, guys who've been in combat, this is very common. And so it can be trained. Now, um, having said that, how do we train for uh, relaxation? And, and all these things kind of overlap, right? The training for relaxation is going to be similar to how to train to be aware uh, at this level, uh, even when you're sleeping. And um, I, I teach kind of a combination of things. One is, or the first is to, um, you know, to really connect with your breathing. And so breathing is a skill. It's you know, something we obviously do automatically, but it's also a skill. And so um, deep diaphragmatic breathing uh, I call relaxation breath. And so at the end of a really hard workout or in between you know, an intense CrossFit-style uh, work capacity training session, I'll teach um, a, a four-count relaxation breath where you, you just inhale through your nose to a count of four, fill your belly up, hold it just briefly at the top by pushing your belly out. So you're literally trying to squeeze oxygen into your system and then exhale in a nice ah relaxation through your mouth to a four count and do this for at least four times. I mean, you, longer better, but a lot of times you don't have the time to do it longer. And that four count relaxation breath is uh, incredibly powerful at interrupting the, your fight or flight and reducing stress. Um, if something happens, and I don't really know the science behind it because I think it's still probably really young, uh, but there has been some research about the differences between breathing through your mouth and through your nose. There, there is nerve endings in, in your brain, essentially, that are, that are triggered when you breathe through your nose that will interrupt your fight or flight response and, and cause, you know, essentially the parasympathetic nervous system to trigger, which, which balances out the sympathetic nervous system responses to stress. And so breathing is extraordinarily powerful. Uh, the seal is called arousal control. Um, I do as well in, in, when it's used for that purpose. But breathing, you know, uh, we use it for concentration practice. We use it to retrain our automatic breathing or autonomic breathing uh, patterns. And we use it for deep relaxation. Now, that's step one. Step two is while you're doing this deep relaxation, we visualize essentially kind of a light flowing into our body through our heads and filling up our bodies at a cellular level and rejuvenating all of our cells. And this is going to help with recovery. It's a visualization practice basically to stimulate your nervous system and stimulate yourself at a maybe a, a, a very subtle or causal level to basically relax and recover. And so you're getting that fresh oxygenated you know, breath in, you're visualizing kind of this energy flowing into you, and you're visualizing yourself recovering, um, and you can recover very quickly uh, in, in, you know, from intense training uh, with those types of things. And then if you've got more time, you know, a longer uh, session in yoga or in a uh, you know, longer session breathing, uh, will also um, recover very quickly. The human body, like I said at the beginning of the call, is extraordinary. Uh, you know what? What you don't see yourself doing, I can week with me, and I'll have you doing everything that everyone else is doing. I just have to prove to you that you're capable of doing it, and then uh, and the rest you'll t- you'll do yourself. I mean, it's extraordinary to see it. And I've got people from all walks of life, of all ages, who come. And you know, I put them through through training this nature, and um, you know, it, it literally. Changes them because they they come away from it with a whole new concept of what they're capable of. And Mark, in your on-site programs, they're in California, correct? Right. Yeah. That's in San Diego County. Okay. How? What proportion of the people that go to those that train with you personally are spec op candidates versus 
people like me that are you know that are that are just uh, no, that are just uh, normal non-military sure. personnel that want to become more high performance. I would say um, in my SEAL Fit program, it's 70-30. 70% are like you, 30% Spec Ops candidates. Keep in mind, there's just not that many of those guys around. Um, in 5% professionals and 5% uh, Spec Ops guys and, and women. And so um, the Unbeatable Mind program doesn't require you to come here to my headquarters and train with me, even though a lot of people ultimately aspire to do that once they get in and they see what the potential is. But the Unbeatable Mind program really is more the philosophy and the training and the practices delivered via, you know, via email, not email, but via um, video and in documents in an online learning community. Uh, it's extremely powerful. You know, it has. Uh, I, I make sure that it's long enough for people to really sink their teeth into it. So it's not a, a quick, like Tony Robbins style thing, where you buy 12 DVDs and listen to it, and voila. No, you've got to commit to this thing. The initial foundation course is 12 months long. Every month you get a new lesson, and that lesson maybe have 12 to 15 different assets: video, tai chi, breathing exercises, some functional fitness exercises. And how you squats, pushes, pull-ups, sit-ups, burpees, um, you know, Olympic lifts, all this stuff on your own time, and then the documents that that kind of go through the philosophy of that we've been dipping into here uh, on this call. So the Unbeatable Mind program is really for anybody anywhere, and that that's really powerful. That's um, that's where I'm putting a lot of my attention going forward because I can. Um, I know there's only so many people that really want to come here and get their ass kicked in San Diego at a physical level, and so. Um, I want people to kind of get inspired and experience this uh, on their own or in a small practice group, you know, wherever they're at, and then let them decide to take the next step if, they, uh, if they're ready for it or when they're ready for it. Now, we were talking earlier about the importance of training being a, being a social activity, that there was that group accountability. Is that something that you introduce in the Unbeatable Mind Academy? It, it is, and we, um, we're, we're just kind of exploring on uh, ideas on how to really take that to the next step. I mean, for, first of all, it's, um, you know, we, created, we consider, consider it a community of practitioners, and so we have a private Facebook group and a knowledge exchange where they, you know, people share ideas and, and breakthroughs and frustrations and, and different resources, right? So it's very rich in resources. And now um, the next level of that is uh, we've got some spontaneous practice group starting to pop up and we want to really foster that so if you're you know if you're in Colombia and there's you know five other people who are doing a beautiful mind and get together you know and, and uh, go climb you know Machu Picchu uh, or you know get together on Thursday nights at Starbucks and practice uh, talk about the concept and maybe practice the box breathing and so that's something that we're trying to figure out how to really uh, to um, you know facilitate and do more of because it's so powerful when you can do this in a group of peers and for the listeners, that's at unbeatablemind.com. And Mark, what's your Twitter in case people want to want to holler at you via the Twitter? A seal is a Twitter account, so just search for seal fit. Um, we have a Facebook uh, page at seal fit. Uh, Sealfit.com is where all the uh, free training is. The free, we have a lot of free training videos as well as uh, daily workouts. Those workouts can be scaled dramatically for, for beginners. I mean, they're probably not the beginner program, but they can be scaled. And we also have an online uh, coaching program for, for folks who are either remote or want to just, uh, you know, kind of be handheld by a Sealfit coach. 
Um, you know, those programs, you know, we've been at this for five years, and so they're, they're really effective. We know they're extremely effective. We have hundreds and hundreds of testimonials. Um, and, and, you know, probably the unbeatable mind is the best way to start because that's where we download the, the mental, you know, the five-mile training uh, into your psyche. And then from there, you know, it just makes you more uh, confident and effective at the training. But that's kind of the final loose for a lot of people is you know, how do I get control of the physical piece? And for us, it's easy because it's, it becomes part of our life. Training is life. Like I said, every day we do something physical and mental, emotional and, and intuitional to develop our ourselves and also our spirit. And um, we don't leave any stone unturned, you know. And so who you are. I, I, I couldn't possibly imagine going through a day without doing some, some sort of physical training. It just you know, it wouldn't be a complete day. The Unbeatable Mind, if anyone's interested in that from your membership, um, you know, we, we advertise it as a $67 a month program, but for friends of mine, I offer it to them at $47 a month. So if, you're, if anyone's really interested and wants to try it out, they can either send me an email, marketsealfit.com, or just go to the link uh, unbeatablemind slash promo, slash promo, and they find the $47 offer. Yeah, so I recommend all of our listeners go and check out Unbeatable Mind. Today, I was looking at the video for the dive bomber push-up on there, and that looks like a pretty badass push-up, and today's my day that I work out, so I'm actually planning on on testing that out today. So I'll make sure to take that, that video which was a great video. I can't believe it only has 281 views on YouTube. I'm sure it'll have a whole lot more sooner. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure that – so I'm going to put that video on the show notes of this nice. episode because I thought that looked like a particularly effective uh, physical training exercise that people could start doing right away. Right. Are, there any other, are there any other physical training exercises that – um, are kind of uncommon that a lot of people aren't practicing that, that you train your sure. people to practice in that academy that you'd recommend we check out also? Yeah, I've got a ton of uh, YouTube videos on my uh, YouTube channel, so just search for Steel Fit or Mark Divine. There's a lot of different videos there. But um, I would say, again, for people who are uh, don't have a lot of um, equipment or training in like the Olympic lifts and some of these things, then stick with body weight stuff. The granddaddy of the bodyweight exercises are the squat and the pull-up. And so it's very easy to find yourself a pull-up bar and to start doing pull-ups. And most people say, I can't do pull-ups. They're hard. Of course they're hard. But that's that whole upper body pulling motion is extremely functional and very, very useful. And it's a pretty easy you know, pull-up to learn. Now, there are many variations of a pull-up. There's a kipping pull-up, butterfly pull-up, the chin-up, the reverse grip pull-up, the commando pull-up, the jumping pull-up. Um, the banded pull-up, and so there's a lot of ways to scale and do different pull-ups. So get yourself a big rubber band if you're if you're a woman or if you're even a guy who can't do a pull-up, and wrap the rubber band, you know, and you can buy these at Rogue Fitness or um, different places like that. They're big, thick, you know, rubber bands like that thick and maybe, uh, you know, all told about, you know, five feet long. Anyways, you wrap that around your uh, pull-up bar and cinch it down and you just stand up in that rubber band and it becomes like a poor man's Gravitron machine to, to hoist you, help hoist you over the bar. So to do pull-ups and then the air squat. I've got air squat videos. I think, um, in fact, Seal Fit TV, we had one a few um, last month or something. It's in the archives of the blog or it's in uh, the YouTube channel. 
And so just doing a, a proper air squat where you're putting your you know, butt back, breaking the parallel plane, you know, really activating your posterior chain, so your glutes and your hamstrings and your lower lumbar, um, it's extraordinarily powerful, right? And so again, think of the movements, right? The movements that the air squat and the pull-up, right, cover when it comes to basically getting by in life and doing things that are useful, right? So anytime you might need to pull yourself up and over something or pull yourself into a tree or climb up a rope, that pulling is going to be there for you. And the squat, essentially, you know, just getting up off the ground, running, jumping, um, you know, falling, all these things are going to be uh, affected by a, a healthier squat. And so, you know, lifting things up as well. So um, eventually these foundational movements, you start to add load, right? And so like we do weighted pull-ups and we do obviously loaded squats and things like that. And you can do plyometric versions like the jumping pull-up or the jumping squat. There's a, just an enormous array of exercises that just stem from the, the big four of the body movements are they push-up, the pull-up, the squat, and the sit-up. So start with those four, master them, do them full range of motion, and then start playing with the plyometric versions. Like a plyometric push-up is like a clapping push-up or where your whole body comes off the ground. Um, and then well, most people start with a scaled push-up pretty soon with that. So start with those big four, and then you start adding combinations to them. So a good example of a combination full-body workout is the burpee. Uh, the burpee starts in a standing position. You lower yourself to a plank, into a push-up, push back up. Then you jump to a bottom of the squat position. Then jump up in the air and clap your hands. And then you do it again. And then you seek to do that as fast as possible, just like we did in grade school, right? And the burpee is an unbelievably effective way to get your heart rate jacked um, and, and to do a full-body training. And so then the next level is to start combining these things in little tiny uh, wad vignettes or workout, I call them uh, wads, their workout of the day. And so you might do a real simple uh, workout that we do all the time is as many rounds in 20 minutes as you can do of five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, and 15 air squats. Um, so try that one before you go on your, your hike, but you know, 20 minutes, five, you just do five pull-ups, 10 pushes, 15 squats, five pull-ups, 10 pushes, 15 squats, as many cycles as you can in, uh, in, in 20 minutes. And, uh, a trained athlete, you know, like one of my CrossFit athletes or myself will do anywhere from 22 to 24 rounds of that in 20 minutes. Uh, first time you do it, a lot of people can't get even to 10 rounds. So it's just, it's that hard, even though it sounds really simple. Great, Mark. Well, we will link those up on the show notes for this episode. I know we've taken up a lot of your time here, and so I want to I want to thank you again for your time. This has been really fascinating. A lot of a lot of eye opening stuff. I wanted to wrap this episode up with a really interesting thing that I heard about the Navy SEALs from another Navy SEAL who was actually a client and a pretty good friend of mine about three years ago. I had this client whose name was Len Same, and he was a Navy SEAL back in the 1960s, and he told me that he was a sniper in Vietnam. And he told me something really fascinating, which was that over the entire course of the Vietnam conflict, there was a very minimal amount of Navy SEAL casualties. But to me, that was really fascinating that it was such in a, in a conflict that cost a lot of, that cost such an incredible amount of life that there was such a small amount of Navy SEAL 
casualties. And I was like, well, Len, why, why was that? And what he explained to me was that the command structure of the Navy SEALs was very close to the ground and that the activities that the Navy SEALs were doing, their commanders had a really intimate level of understanding of what was happening in that piece of geography at that time. And as a result, they didn't get sent out on missions that were unsuccessful. And I think that's a, that's a philosophy that we can really take and expand throughout our entire lives of trying to be intimately aware of what our immediate environments are and what's going on in our immediate environments. And if we can focus on that more possibly more so than we're focusing on really high level things we're going to be we're going to be a whole lot more successful and len was a len was a really great guy he was a, a personal mentor to me and i actually kind of have him to thank for inspiring the limitless mindset website and what we're doing because he was a, a client of mine that approached me and he was like okay Jonathan I have this website that I want built and I have a marketing a really grand vision for a marketing strategy that I want to go with it and what I'm actually gonna do Jonathan is I'm gonna send you to the the very best internet marketing online business conference and course that's available right now and I want you to become intimately familiar with the best way for us to conduct this campaign and then we're going to do this project together that he was really it was a it was a personal development project that he was really passionate about and he had a he had a very novel idea for it and so he sent me to this conference and he put me through some some what was actually pretty intensive training on on online marketing and on doing business online and then uh, and then he died oh, no. unfortunately yeah uh, he had cancer and um, and it, it it got the best of him after a couple of years and his project unfortunately never came to fruition but I feel like uh, some of his vision and some of the things that I learned working with him have inspired the podcast and the website right now and so I, I have a, I feel like I have a certain debt uh, to the Navy SEALs for, for, for the lessons that I was able to learn from, from Len. So I feel like you're kind of a, a good person that I can extend a really heartfelt thank you uh, in, proxy, in proxy for uh, some of the stuff that I, that I learned from Len. So thanks, uh, thanks again for your time here today. It's, it's been really cool chatting with you. And I hope that at some point I can make it out to one of your uh, courses back when I'm uh, uh, in California at some point. Yeah, it would be great to meet you in person. Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun for you to come out here, even if just to observe, you know, your first time. And that's been a real honor to be on your show. I really appreciate the invite. Maybe we can do it again sometime, or we can have you on our Unbeatable Mind podcast. Uh, that would be a lot of fun uh, to, to talk about some of your ideas to our membership, which is growing every day. So uh, we should follow up on that. And good luck on your hike. Yeah, cash money heroes, private jets, polish. To connect with the Limitless Mindset community, along with a chance to win free neurotropic brain supplements and other awesome prizes, 
please give our Facebook page a like at facebook.com backslash limitless mindset. If you found this podcast to be informative and entertaining, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or whatever podcast directory you are listening and write us a review letting us know what you think of the show. And remember that the best compliment we can ever hope to receive is you sharing the show with a friend. Legal Notices If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset Podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at